Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Have you ever thought to yourself, I just can't take any more of this punishment? I remember uh, back in high school, in the transition from football season to basketball season, I had thought to myself, you know, this year I think I'm in pretty good shape. It was my senior year. And I, uh, you know, I thought, this is going to go pretty good. Football season ended, and uh, basketball started, and we had the first day of practice. Now, mind you, I had a coach that believed that um, conditioning was really important to winning games. So he punished, I mean, conditioned us severely. And as good a shape as I thought I was in, I remember that first day of practice running out the door two times, bending over and heaving. Sorry for those of you who are sensitive. I just couldn't stop thinking, I wish this punishment would end. Many of you have probably been there and for many types of reasons, right? Some of you are going through that. Some of us are going through that right now in our home lives. We're, we're, we've got struggles going on in our, in our marriages. And we, we are just not hitting it with our spouses. And we're, we're starting to think to ourselves, I don't know if I can take any more of this punishment. Some of us as parents are saying, wow, this, this little child was so beautiful three years ago. What, what happened? Or this teenager, I don't know if I can take any more of this punishment. And by the way, probably some of our teenagers are thinking the same thing about us parents. Some of us are thinking it in our professional life. Some of us are thinking, man, my personal mission statement and the mission statement of this corporation are not meshing right now. My coworkers don't get what I'm trying to do. My boss has a long list of things that I've just got to correct and they need to be corrected two days before yesterday. And man, I don't know when this punishment is going to ever end. Some of us are going through health things. Uh, a member here at Crosswalk recently went through cancer treatment, cancer therapy. I don't know if any of you have ever had a friend who's gone through cancer therapy. And as the weeks go on, that thought gets more and more in your head. When is this punishment going to end? And then, of course, you and I know that there's an even worse kind of punishment than that, don't we? The punishment of regret, self-recrimination, shame, guilt. All the things that we feel when we look into the scripture and into God's law. And we go, as Jonathan just said, man, I am falling so short here of what God wants from me. This God, this Father who loved me so much to send His Son for me, and I'm falling short. 
And how do I get there? How do I stop punishing myself? And how do I stop earning, earning God's punishment? And so today, if you're thinking, or if you've ever thought, will this punishment ever end? You came on a good day. Because today's story is really about how God ends the punishment for us. And it's a beautiful story. You know our series is Blood, Sweat, and Tears. We've been walking with Jesus through this series in the last days of his life as he walks to the cross on our behalf to be our redeemer, to pay that ultimate price for our sins. And in each of these events, we've learned that through Jesus' pain, there's a huge gain for us. And today's game that we want to look at is just this, that when Jesus walks to the cross for us, his pain is the gain of release from the punishment that goes on in our lives, the punishment that others inflict on us, the the punishment that we inflict on ourselves, the punishment that God has promised himself that he will put on every last person who sins. So now let's open up our Bibles or take out our crosswalk notes and let's look at this story. How does the punishment end? How do we gain release from punishment? We're looking at Matthew chapter 27 today. Beginning at verse 11, here's what it says. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Will you take just a moment, take your pen, circle that word notorious for me. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. Here's another place I want you to circle a word. Circle the word innocent, will you? For I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And all the people answered, 
let his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. You hear what's being said there? Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, the Roman governor of Judea, on trial. And the governor's questioning him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asks. It's interesting, isn't it? The charges against Jesus as the, as the day goes along, because they've definitely developed on this Good Friday. Jesus had not been arrested in the first place for claiming to be a king. He had been arrested originally for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. And yet the Jews knew, politically speaking, and they were political people, that they could not make a claim against Jesus for blasphemy before the Roman court. They had to have another reason. And so they tweaked those charges just enough so that Pilate would have to listen to them. They got some charges put together that would stick in a Roman court. And the list grew as the sun went across the sky, whatever worked to get the results that they were hoping to get. Jesus tells people not to pay taxes. Jesus is a traitor, and he's out to commit sedition. Jesus claims to be a king, and he wants to replace Caesar. But did you notice also it says that the governor has a custom every year during the Passover? And the custom is that he'll release a prisoner during this time as a great demonstration of Roman mercy. At this time of year during the Passover, which is in the Jews' minds all about freedom. The Romans thought that they were being pretty kind and gracious to do that. Pilate's wife has told him, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. She's come to him and she said, man, you do not want to touch this guy. And yet Pilate is faced not only with Jesus in this trial, but with a crowd of Jews who are preparing to go on a riot. And now he's got a decision to make. So he calls out this man named Barabbas. Barabbas was no innocent man. In fact, if you read about him in Mark chapter 15, it says that he was an insurrectionist. The very thing that Jesus was charged with, Barabbas was guilty of, and furthermore, that he had been imprisoned with a group of insurrectionists that had committed murder. Barabbas was a guilty man. In fact, beyond a guilty man, I had you circle a word. He was notoriously guilty. That word actually means marked, noted. Pointed out, look, there's Barabbas. He's the one who, in the rebellion, in Mark chapter 15, it calls it the rebellion. He's the one that was one of the leaders, one of the murderers. 
And now Pilate stands him next to the innocent man, next to Jesus. And he says, which, which one? Which one will you have me release to you? You know, I think that word notorious is so important for us to hear. Notorious, marked, he has a reputation, doesn't he? And so often, our reputation, the things that make us notorious, are the very things that drag us backward. Have you ever had a friend that you've tried to talk to who's trying really hard to live a new life, and yet somehow in her mind she keeps playing and replaying, but this is my reputation. This is what I'm notorious for. And as hard as she tries to get escape velocity from this sin or the guilt and shame from it that keeps dragging her backward inch by inch, she keeps hearing that little inner voice saying, don't you remember what they said about you in high school? You, you haven't really changed. Don't you remember what you did? And everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. You have a reputation and you can't ever escape it. That is the deception that Satan will whisper in your ear. And yet I want you to see the end of the story. Pull out your crosswalk notes. Here is this notorious criminal. And in verse 26, we read, Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The one who was notorious, the one with a reputation, the one who was guilty, guilty as sin, a murderer, is released, and Jesus is put in his place. You and I know that we can build reputations, reputations for sin, on the smallest of things. We don't have to be murderers. Take a look at the passage, for example, that I uh, put in your crosswalk notes from Proverbs 25, 9 and 10. Notice what it says there. If you argue your case with a neighbor, do not betray another man's confidence, or he who hears it may shame you. And then notice what it says. And you will never lose your bad reputation. And this was not for murder. This was for simply letting a tongue slip and betraying a confidence. And yet it says, and you will never lose your bad reputation. Do you ever feel that way? That I can never lose my bad reputation. Well, God has some other words for you. God wants you to know his amazing grace, his love for you. And that love is such that just like notorious Barabbas, notorious Jeff, notorious all of you have been released. And Jesus has been punished in your place. 
Take a look at what it says in Isaiah, because long before Jesus arrived, God promised that this would happen. And he had the prophet Isaiah just say it out loud. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called, we underline this, by a new name. That the mouth of the Lord will bestow on you. Here's the deal. You may have a reputation. People may think all sorts of things about you. Some of them may be true because you are sinful and so am I. And some of them may be false. But here's what's really important for you to go home with today. The one who really counts is your heavenly father, your God. And he tells you flat out through Isaiah and in many other places in the Bible that your old reputation created by sin, your sin and the sin of others, in his eyes, it is gone. You have a new name. And you no longer have to be dragged backward into sin or guilt or shame or regret Because of something that you did years and years and years ago, and you're saying to yourself, man, I can't escape my reputation. You have escaped your reputation. You have been given, as Isaiah says, a new name that the mouth of the Lord has bestowed on you. So we write that down. God has given me a new name, a new reputation. What name, what reputation is dragging you backwards? What, what is the thing that you keep repeating inside your own head? Or, or maybe, sadly, maybe even someone close to you keeps saying to you, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. That's not who you are. You have a new name, child of God. And that is your name through faith in Jesus Christ. So here's our first major point. And the first kind of punishment that we escape is our notoriety. You are no longer notorious in God's sight. Ever been in a battle you can't win? Pit, you can't escape? A battle where every day brings with it bitter combat and the the threat of being dragged inch by inch and foot by foot back into defeat and you see no end in sight. Ever been in that battle? Ever been in a battle where you struggle with all your human might to stand and to stand firm and yet... You find yourself failing and surrendering and giving up and giving in. A few weeks ago on my blog, I wrote a quote from a researcher who had um, done some research with some slaves during the times of the Confederacy. This was a slave named Harry Thomas. And he was trying to escape from his slave master. Here's what he said. I recovered from that beating. And at length ran away again because he refused to let me go to see my friends. I was caught by a colored man who took me to my master's stepfathers. He whipped me until he was satisfied. Then master came and whipped me with a leather strap. 
I ran off again, was caught and put in a potato house. After that, I was put in the field to knock along the best way I could, but I was not able to work. Ever feel that way about your spiritual slave master, Satan? Ever feel like you're trying to escape his, his temptations and the sins that, that he lays before you and he keeps catching up to you, grabbing you by the collar, beating you and whipping you? Ever feel like, man, my sins are just beating me up and I know Jesus has healed me. And yet, here comes Satan dragging me backward. What do you do about that? How do you escape from that kind of punishment, the kind of punishment that temptation and continued bondage to sin brings us? Because that's a whole other kind of punishment that goes beyond just being notorious. What sin captivates you? entices you, enslaves you, imprisons you, who or what do you or I put ahead of God? Why is it that it's often so difficult to to love my neighbor just as I love myself? Name it. Because that is the name of your captor your slave master. Now, for some of us, it's financial. Can't stop yourself from spending. You go to the mall, and you max out your credit cards, and you get deeper and deeper and deeper in debt, and pretty soon you just feel like a slave to your credit cards. For some of us, it's sexual. You sit down at your computer to do some work. And instead of pulling up Microsoft Word, up comes the porn. And you're trapped by that. For some of us, it's chemical. And we're trying to deal with the problems that we have in our lives. And and we don't know how to escape these feelings that we have or how to deal with them. We don't know who we can talk to, and so we medicate ourselves. And pretty soon, this, this medication, this chemical becomes our slave master. For some of us, it's relational. For some of us, it's... It's that we can't ever seem to have a relationship in which we're not contending with someone and arguing with someone and where hatred and spewage is going back and forth. And for some of us, it's emotional. We hear the gospel. We hear that heaven is ours through Jesus. And yet, man, we struggle to bounce up and back out of the gloom that just seems to constantly descend on us. But you know what? All of those in some form or sense go back really to one thing, and that's the spiritual. And that's why this story of Jesus and Barabbas are so important to us, because all those things that I just mentioned They're either our sin grasping for straws to deal with life 
or there's someone else's sin knocking us backward. But in the end, it doesn't matter because it's all sin. And it's all meant to send us down into the toilet. You know, I did a little research because I was interested in this word punishment in the Bible. And um, there are all kinds of interesting punishments in the Bible. We're seeing one today. A crucifixion is a type of punishment. You may have heard, um, for example, Paul says, I was lashed and I was beaten. Sometimes punishments would be meted out with a whip or, or with a, a strap. Of course, there was imprisonments and there were banishments. There were all kinds of punishments. But one of the punishments that actually we've made reference to in the past couple weeks is uh, about something that's shaped like a beaker. Do you know what that would be? It's called a cistern. And it was a, a place that was often dug into solid rock in the ground. And, um, and it was a place because uh, oftentimes there would be droughts and so on. So that the, the, uh, the Jews would store water in a cistern dug into the ground. So imagine that this shape is dug down into the ground into stone or clay. Now, sometimes they didn't have dungeons available. So this storage place for water, this huge cistern underground, would be used as a dungeon. All right, now, look at that. Look at that shape. How are you ever going to get out of there? In fact, often, to make the punishment worse, you know, when the water was in there, they would cover it so that uh, no, no dirt and stuff could get down there. But when there was a prisoner in there, they would often do the same. Can you imagine being in that hole in the ground? And how do you get out? Now... Suppose your prison keeper wanted to mock you. You know what he might do? Say, here you go. I'm throwing a shovel down to you. You go ahead and dig your way out. You know what? You're still alive, in a sense. You still have power to do something. But if you're given a shovel, you know what? you're going to do with this only either dig a deeper hole or uh, cave the whole thing in on yourself. All your effort is only going to make the problem worse. Guess what? The Bible says this is how we're born, every one of us. This is what sin places us into spiritually, into a hole, a prison, into captivity. And Satan throws us a shovel. And he says, here, guys, start digging. Maybe you'll dig your own way out. And we do. So many of us do. We start digging to the side and then we realize, ah, it ain't working, man. We start digging down, and then we realize, I'm going nowhere. And we start kind of poking at the ceiling. Can I somehow get up to the top, and the thing just comes crashing down on us? That's what religion does. The idea, the thought that somehow I can shovel my way back to God. 
and work my way out of this sin and this temptation. You know what the Bible says? Look up. See the light? See the hand reaching down to you? See the guy who says, I'll come down in the pit and take your place and I'll be the ladder for you to get out of this horrible situation where the only thing you can do is dig yourself deeper. And you know what his name is? You do, right? His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He came into this world, was willing to be arrested, put on trial next to a true criminal, a notorious criminal named Barabbas. And not just for Barabbas' release, but for your release and my release. And take a look what the promise of that is. Take a look at what I put in your book, in your uh, crosswalk notes, Isaiah 14, 2 to 4. Isaiah says, all those things that captivate us by the power of Jesus Christ working in our lives, we can take our captors, whether they're chemical or emotional, sexual, financial, whatever they are, we can take our captors and make them captive. They will make captives of of their captors and rule over their oppressors. That's talking to you. On the day the Lord gives you relief from suffering and turmoil and cruel bondage, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon, how the oppressor has come to an end, how his fury has ended. Paul struggled with sin every day, and so will you. There's no permanent way in this life out of that struggle. It's going to continue until the day you die. And in Romans 7, there's a beautiful picture of that daily struggle with our old Adam, our sinful nature, with sin and Satan. And at the end of all of that, this is what the Apostle Paul says, man, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the name of the guy who will come down and take our place. Barabbas is released and Jesus is flogged and crucified. Jeff is released and Jesus is flogged and crucified. You are released. You are released. And you can take your captors captive by the power of Jesus Christ. That's what he gives you the power to do now as his child. Never perfectly because of the sinful nature. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we are delivered from this body of death. Through Jesus Christ, write this down. I will take my captors captive. I am released from bondage. And then there's what I guess I would consider the biggest release from punishment of all, of all the three that we're going to talk about, and that is the release from condemnation. Where was Barabbas slated to end up as an insurrectionist, a murderer, and a criminal? 
Where was he going to, where was he going to go if he hadn't been released that day? Do you think about that? I'll tell you where he was going to go. He was going to be one of those guys hanging on a cross. And he was going to die. And do you and I know that by nature, that is where all of us, because of sin, are slated to go, not to an earthly crucifixion, but definitely to a punishment. God threatens to punish all who sin. And furthermore, he even says, those who try to dig their own way out of the cistern, out of the problem, they're going to end up in punishment too. Take a look at, um, at what I put down for you from Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. You want to try to dig yourself out of this hole? You're just going to find yourself cursed because cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Who of us can say, I have continued to do everything written in the commandments? Narrow it down to just the two that Jonathan mentioned in the confession. Have I loved the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength? Have I loved my neighbor to myself? Who of us can say that we have continued to do everything that's written in the book of the law? And that's why this story is so very important to us. Because in this story of Jesus and Barabbas is truly the key to be released from condemnation. And that's what Paul writes to the Romans. Take, take this passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. You know, isn't it interesting in the story of Jesus and Barabbas that they're trading condemnation around like baseball cards? Did you notice that? Pilate says, let me wash my hands here because I'm not going to take on the condemnation for having Jesus crucified. I wonder who's going to take it. Anybody want these baseball cards? Who'll take the condemnation? The Jews go, we will, we'll take it. Let his blood be on us and on our children. And they claim the condemnation. Now, who would do that? And yet, they do. (laughs) And guess what? The idea of trading condemnation like baseball cards is maybe not so bad of an idea. Because isn't that exactly what Jesus does? He says, here, take my innocence cards. Take my not guilty cards. And you have them. You own them. And, and by the way, those condemnation cards that you have in your hand, could I, could I have those? Let My blood be on me, he says. I know. You should be saying, let his blood be on us. 
But Jesus says, no, I want to do this for you because I love you. Let my blood be on me and then let it flow from me to cover you. So that when our Heavenly Father looks at us, he says, not guilty, innocent, perfect in my sight, my beautiful, perfect children, my beautiful, perfect sons and daughters. They are mine. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Would you look that passage up? I I want us to read that together. Would you read it with me? Romans 8, 1 and 2. Let's read it together. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Write this down. Jesus took my guilt and he gave me his innocence. There is a beautiful prophecy from the book of Zechariah. I did not put it in your notes, but just listen to these words. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. You hear those words? I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit, from the cistern of sin and guilt and punishment. And he goes on to say, return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. You are still prisoners, the Bible says, but no longer prisoners of sin. You are prisoners of hope. The hope that Jesus Christ brings to all of you. And I pray that as you've heard this morning, that you you no longer have to be imprisoned and punished by, by any of these things, by condemnation. You know, you no longer have to worry about temptation and bondage. All these things God has taken away that you walk away from here no longer prisoners of sin, guilt, shame, regret, no longer prisoners of hell, no longer prisoners of Satan, but prisoners of hope. Take a look at your next steps in the crosswalk. Picture in your mind what it would be like to be fully released from sin's effects. You know I've said that can't happen in this life. But here's what can happen. Ask Jesus to help you take one step in that direction. And then secondly, take the challenge. The Holy Spirit is transforming your heart and mind. Act in the confidence that he has captivated your captor. And finally, meditate on and memorize Romans 8.1. Remember, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have sent your son Jesus for us. And that in place of us, notorious criminals that we are, you have put Jesus to take on our punishment, 
And now we are released. We are released from our notoriety. We are released from our bondage. And most of all, we are released from condemnation. Lord God, Heavenly Father, may every heart and mind in this room know the hope that only Jesus Christ brings and be prisoners every day for the remainder of their life of that hope. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.